Welcome back to day one of Global Supply Chain Week. This is Maritime Day. Uh, I am Mike Bowden-Distel. I'm an analyst and market expert here at Freight Waves. And for this next session, uh, we're going to bring on Matt Schrapp, who's the CEO of the Harbor Trucking Association. The Harbor Trucking Association is a coalition of intermodal carriers serving America's West Coast ports. So that includes LA, Long Beach, Oakland, Seattle, and Tacoma. Uh, Matt, thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me, Mike. Why don't we start just with a little bit of an overview of the Harbor Trucking Association, sort of, um, you know, what are you trying to accomplish there? What are some of the big issues that you're seeing right now? Sure, of course. You know, we, as you mentioned, we're a coalition of intermodal dredge carriers in particular. So our job is to educate and advocate policymakers, regulators, port officials, other local officials, and some of the nuances of port trucking, if you will. So we've, we've been around for about close to 10 years now and really have made it our job to help folks understand exactly what the men and women in the supply chain down on the drayage market uh, do every day. Yeah, that's really important. And and sort of what are you seeing right now in the marketplace? I mean, there's just so much going on on those, on those West Coast ports in particular. Absolutely. For us, obviously, in LA Long Beach, it's all about volume. We've been experiencing a tremendous amount of volume. I think the ports have get, went ahead and clocked over 20 million containers that they've handled this year, which is record setting more than any other port complex in the country. Of course, one of the challenges becomes every loaded container that comes in eventually becomes an empty container. My members are dealing with daily thousands of empty containers that they're having challenges with bringing back into the harbor complex in order to stop the clock on per diem, but most importantly, free up that chassis to move more imports off the dock. So for us, the volume has really been twofold. Although we're working hard, Productivity is down. These empty container challenges are ubiquitous. And frankly, it's just become a very big challenge that we're going through and trying to return the containers and also just maintain this level of productivity. This volume is just off the charts. So, so productivity has really been a major issue on the West Coast ports. It's actually, um, you know, based on some of the, the data that we've seen in the last four months, uh, actually the imports at, you know, ports of LA and Long Beach were down year over year. You know, plenty of you know, de- demand to get those containers in, but um, the, the productivity seems to be impairing that. You know, the productivity of the West Coast ports is below, uh, well below where it is in some of the other ports around the world. Um, and then we have the ILWU, uh, which needs a new contract um, as of uh, July 1st. So, you know, how do you think about productivity and do you see that as a, as a risk and, and what can the Harbor Trucking Associations do to, to mitigate that risk? Well, you know, again, our, our job is to educate. Our, our job is to really help folks understand some of the nuances that, that go on within the supply chain. And it's, as you know, Mike, it is much more complex than folks would come to realize. Uh, for us, when we look at some of the productivity issues, it really has to do with either turn times or, again, our ability to return these empty containers to free up these chassis to move the imports off the dock. That, for us, is probably the, the biggest issue that we're dealing with right now. The other challenge with the year-over-year decline, month-to-month, it's really a function of 2020 being such a banner year, especially in the later part of the year, October through December, that now as things are trailing off a little bit, we are seeing these smaller volume numbers. But that's really a function of smaller ships. I think the average ship that's coming into LA Long Beach is around eight to 10,000 TEUs, when typically it's over 14 or 14 or above, rather. So for, for us, when we think about the, the productivity side of things, we really try to encourage the fact that it's not necessarily a function of a driver shortage or even gate hours being available. 
the appointment systems make things challenging. We have, again, these empty container issues that we're dealing with, new entrants into the market, which are chartering these smaller vessels. So all these things combined together start to decrease productivity. We're hoping that as we dig out of these ships that are on their way here, some analysts are saying we're not going to get out of this until 2023, which, as you mentioned, coincides right in the middle of that with at the end of of June, we're looking at the contract renewal for ILWU. We're hoping that we're still going to see this upward trend of additional productivity, faster turn times, but it's hard to say. You know, really, again, for us, we just are struggling with these empty containers, uh, and that's a function of allocations that are given to the marine terminals by the steamship lines. It's a function of gang availability, vessel berth space. All these things on top of each other can really hinder our ability to be effectively productive. So we're hoping that we see a little bit of relief, but at the end of the day, it's hard to say, especially as, again, these new entrants, these smaller ships come into the market, which which trends down on that volume side, but we're just as busy because they take up a vessel berth space, right? They still take up gangs, take up space in the yard. All these things just compound on top of each other. There's been some attempt to move operations to 24-7 or impose you know, surcharges or incentives to move containers faster. Have any of those things had an, an impact on, on productivity? Well, the challenge with what you know what we call the hoot gate, we really haven't moved to 24-7. Uh, no terminal is open seven days a week at a minimum. One terminal in Long Beach implemented a hoot gate back in November, which is a 3 a.m. to 8 a.m. gate. Um, where we have two shifts right now that basically go until 3 from 8 a.m. to 3 a.m. Now we're looking at these these hoot shifts. And unfortunately, because of the restrictions that existed within the previous hoot gate happening last year, we didn't see that much utilization. We were required to drop off certain types of boxes, certain colors, if you will, on top of certain type of chassis, and it was just underutilized. Some would even say that it was designed to fail to begin with. The experiment was good, but we need much more better application, better approach, especially less restrictive. We have another terminal in LA now that's looking at, that has a hoop gate that's operating and you know, it, it's functioning. We in the industry like to start a lot earlier. We're not, you know, by 8 a.m. the day is half over more or less. So starting that earlier shift, hopefully we'll garner a little bit more product, a uh, little bit more productivity out of it. But again, it, it's a, becomes a challenge of, it's the same exact restrictions that we look at on the day side, on the first shift or the second shift. If these same container restrictions exist, it's going to prohibit us from utilizing it. So we'll see. I guess this is the short answer to that. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I also wanted to ask you just on um, you know what's happening on the regulatory front, uh, specifically in California. I mean, you hear a lot about you know, changes they want to make to emissions from, from the equipment. I mean, think of drayage equipment tends to be later in its in its life cycle, maybe, you know, not the, the cleanest equipment, but, but something that can be used, you know, economically. And I know California would love it to all be electric. It doesn't seem, you know, pragmatic to me, but just any any thoughts or what's happening uh, on the regulatory side um, in California? Yeah, unfortunately, and, and some would say that here in California, especially the drage fleet is probably the cleanest in the world. This goes back to the late aughts, you know, 2007, 2008, when the Clean Air Action Plan was implemented down in LA Long Beach. And you had the larger statewide rule that took place for the remainder of the ports, any maritime port, or any of the intermodal rail yards. So we are now headed into, at the end of this year, regulatory requirement that's going to force a turnover of all 2007 through 2009 engines. So that's eight through 10 trucks. We're looking at, you know, six 
7,000 vehicles that are going to be out of service at the end of this year. So you have the legacy rules which exist, which have forced the turnover. Because like you said, it's you know, the drayage market hasn't necessarily been a, a place for new trucks necessarily. But lately, because of the regulatory policy, we've seen a lot more newer vintage vehicles entering into the marketplace. However, they still are competing, if you will, with these older legacy vehicles. End of this year, we see the 2023-11-2023 standard eliminating those seven through nine engines, forcing the standard of 2010 model year engine. Then what's being promulgated right now is an entry standard for any new entrant into the drage truck registries to be zero emissions, battery electric or hydrogen, as you alluded to. Right now, it's not that pragmatic, primarily because there's no infrastructure to support that level of emissions control. Hydrogen, there isn't anything. Battery electric, I mean, there is, there's just nothing that's public facing, especially that folks can just go and access at a good rate with a faster charge. So we are constantly facing that. This is California. It's not going to break off into the ocean anytime soon, contrary to the popular belief for throughout the rest of the country. A lot of things that happen here blow east. So we'll we'll see all this all works out, but this is something that we've been struggling under here in California for, for many years, and we do not see it letting up at all whatsoever. Yeah, it does seem to be a barrier to um, you know people straightening out on their own and being an owner-operator when you have all of these rules to comply with and all of those regulations can only increase the price of equipment, which we've seen the you know price of used equipment just sort of go, go through the roof here. Um, but but all those things, yeah, we'll keep a, keep a close eye on, on those. Um, wanted to ask you just about uh, just the driver availability in, in, in drayage. I mean, you typically think of that as maybe being one of the areas where you would not have as severe driver shortage because they're driving 50 miles at a time. They can get, get home at night, but there's been such a, a labor shortage throughout the the, the country, um, you know, across industries. And you think, you know, in, in uh, the West Coast specifically, the housing costs are so high. You think that would be, it'd be hard to find, um, you know, drivers even, even for, for drayage, but interested to hear what you, you're seeing there. Yeah, you know, we're always looking for qualified drivers. Uh, no pun intended. These guys are in the driver's seat. Uh, they are commanding some of the highest spot rates we've ever seen here in Drayage. Uh, we have new entrants into the market from, you know, the digital load board apps, if you will. Maybe not new necessarily, but they have definitely disrupted the traditional way that the owner-operator independent contractor has been compensated. I, I would say that down here in the harbor, we have about 14,500, give or take, drivers that call here at least one time a day. And typically a good turn for a good day for a driver is two to three turns. You know, luckily, uh, you know, they're lucky if they can get that many. Right now, we're looking at one turn because of all this congestion issue that we're dealing with. So we're, we're, we're always looking for qualified drivers, but we wouldn't necessarily say there's a driver shortage. As you said, it's a short haul, local for the most part. I mean, a drayage truck is primarily in that role that you talked about. 50 miles each way is going to be far, but we do have trucks coming from all over the country. Obviously right now with the capacity issues that we're struggling with here, just from a labor availability throughout the supply chain, drivers are coming from all over the place. So we don't really, and especially when I talk to drivers, we don't really feel like there's an acute driver shortage down here necessarily. And we go back to the productivity issue that a lot of new entrants, still the same chassis restrictions, empty container restrictions. Those are what preventing a lot of more turns from happening. We have guys who weren't even being dispatched because we couldn't free up a chassis. So we don't really feel that that driver shortage down here, although we're always looking for the qualified drivers. And, and the barrier to entry 
you're right. It's higher because of the emissions restrictions. I think California issued about 60,000 commercial driver's licenses this year. So we're seeing people come into the marketplace. Uh, they're, you know, If you have a commercial driver's license, like I said, you are in high demand right now. You can really write your own ticket. And it's a function of the drivers finding a good motor carrier to haul for. Employee jobs are available. Teamster jobs are available even. If you have that, you, you're in the catbird seat, so to speak. So we're always hoping more people come into the marketplace. But you know, trucking's just not as sexy as it was back in the 70s and 80s, I guess you could say, with, you know, Smokey and the Bandit, DJ and the Bear and things like that. So we're trying to help alleviate that. And through the HTA, really encouraging people to come into the marketplace, setting up driver training programs, working with our motor carriers to entice people to come into the system. Yeah, that's I, the, all those things are really helpful. Um, yeah, I wanted to ask you, you touched on a little bit the, um, the chassis availability issue, which was maybe on the intermodal side, maybe the biggest issue of last year. Um, is there any sort of relief in, in sight there? Have, have the domestic um, uh, chassis manufacturers been able to ramp up uh, you know, production there to, to you know, make that uh, situation any uh, less severe? Not necessarily. I mean, they're still, we're, we're struggling with some of those anti-dumping laws. The manufacturers are still catching up on back orders. They're still looking for labor. There's still parts shortages. Supply chain, everybody's affected by it, right? It's it, it's ironic almost that the supply chain itself is so dependent upon the supply chain in order to be able to function. So for us, it, you know, it becomes this question of, well, are there enough chassis or are is there not enough chassis that are available at this point? Because again, they're sitting under these empty containers. If we were to dump a bunch of more chassis into the system, although it would help, but then we would just have too many chassis. I know the pool of pools had right-sized at one point in time, removing about you know twenty to 30,000 chassis out of the pool. I think we're down to about 60-some-odd thousand pooled chassis within the pool of pools here in LA Long Beach. And you have other chassis pools. You have gray pools. You have our owned chassis. So for us on the West Coast, yes, we need more chassis, but we really think that it's a function of our ability to return these empty containers that's really what's eating up the chassis capacity. Not necessarily there's any, a shortage, right? But we're, we're, we're seeing some more chassis come into the marketplace. I just had a carrier took delivery of 175 just the other day. They were immediately eaten up. And now some of them are just sitting in his yard waiting to be returned back into the terminals under those empty containers. So, uh, you know, hopefully the, the manufacturers are going to be able to ramp up when, when, it, when, we, when we need it. I think there's a really a huge problem right now in Houston, uh, but here on the West Coast again, we really see it as a productivity issue because of these empty containers. Got it. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Um, also, just wanted to ask you just maybe a, a bigger picture question. I mean, we talked a little bit already about the regulations in California, but um, just at a high level, I mean, what do you think the West Coast ports have to do to remain competitive with other ports across the country? I mean, before the um, pandemic, we did see market share shift away from the West Coast ports. Um, but but just any any sort of thoughts uh, there? You know, we always need to invest in our workforce, no matter whether it's longshore, whether it's trucking, whether it's warehouse personnel, that that's something that I think is always going to be at the top of the list for the port authorities here and in the state of California, obviously. Um, automation is always going to be on the table. The challenge becomes is that, you know, here in the United States, we don't function like some of the foreign ports. We do have a very strong union here who has carved out something for themselves that's, that's important. Um, it's dangerous work. We all understand that. But we need a better approach to how that labor is applied. For us, we think that more effective gate hours would help. If 
people aren't showing up for a truck gate after 10 or 11 p.m., why are we keeping those gates open? I think we need a better approach. We've advocated for, for years, it seems like at this point in time, to start at earlier. As I mentioned, the hoot gates might provide a little bit of relief along those lines, but we'd rather see gates that are open from 4 a.m. to 11 p.m., maybe midnight, maybe even 10 p.m., and then allow labor to clean up the yard to stage for the next day. But we're keeping these gates open just to, for the, by virtue of keeping them open. Folks aren't utilizing them. So again, we wonder why, are, why not take a better approach? So I think from that angle, looking at more training, especially skilled training for ILWU to get more crane operators into the mix would help because then we'll have labor availability, we'll have better gang hours. If we flex the shifts, you don't basically stop the entire train at every lunch or every break. If we have these flex shifts where it's constant work, starting earlier, closing earlier, I think we'll see a lot more productivity. I don't necessarily think that automation is the only answer. Longshore does a great job. Uh, there are automated terminals down here. They perform relatively well, but we're always going to have that human element. And so if we have that human element, I think we need just we just need a better approach. And, and starting with looking at the gate hours that they exist today, modifying the appointment systems, to work better with the trucking community, I think we'll see an increase in productivity, but it, it's not necessarily just an answer of throwing more automation at it necessarily, but we do need to remain productive. We've lost market share here, so something's got to give. Yeah, that's great insight because um, there needs to be more than, than the, the, the productivity discussion because there's just so much pushback from organized labor on um, you know, making those uh, on the, on the automation uh, issues. Um, you know, unfortunately, we're, we're about out of time, but I um, just want to take a moment to thank you, um, you know, Matt Strapp, CEO of Harbor Trucking Associations, for, for joining us here at Global Supply Chain Week. Matt, how can someone um, you know, find out about the Harbor Trucking Association to, to, to learn more? Well, we appreciate that. We're at harbortruckers.org. We're also on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, at Harbor Truckers. You can find us there. You can also find me on, on those sites as well. Happy to conversate with anybody, anytime. Uh, we love trucking down here. We know that it's the most important part of the supply chain. So we encourage more participation from everybody.